That's a blessing, amen? Yeah. I'm thankful for my kids. Um, the nature of kind of our ministry uh, in planning a church, and uh, we've moved, it seems like we move every five years or whatever, and, and uh, just the nature of our life, the nature of our ministry, you know, we haven't, our kids haven't done a lot of the extra stuff, you know, the extracurricular stuff. I'm not against it, just they haven't been afforded that. And I'm thankful they've just thrown themselves into the Lord, thrown themselves into the local church, thrown themselves into music and serving. Um, and uh, I'm thankful. There's no greater place for your kids to, to expend themselves, by the way, than the local church because it yields eternal rewards, it yields eternal fruit. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm thankful for my kids and uh, for their service to the Lord and, and that they, they put their heart into it. And I'm, I'm very, very thankful for that. Well, it's been great uh, to be here with you and uh, appreciate all of the fellowship and the conversation that we've had. It's just been a real, um, it's just been a real blessing, a real joy. And this is definitely going to go down for us as one of our highlights of deputation and uh, We've kind of hit, uh, the last month, we've kind of hit a fatigue spot, you know, seven, about seven months in, and uh, this has just been kind of a, a time of refreshment, time of encouragement, and we just thank you as a church for, um, for your love, your interest, and I appreciate your pastor, and uh, your coming to be pastor, and I'm excited about the transition, and, uh, you know, I've been able to watch quite a few transitions in the last year, and, and I would just say this particularly to the men tonight. Two things I'd encourage you to do and, and to consider, uh, I've, watched, I've watched about four or five of these take place in the last couple of years, as I'd encourage you two ways. One, do not forget the past. And when the man of God, listen, the man of God is not going to get up here and say, I've given you all these years, now you take care of me. We know a preacher's not like that, but this church ought to do that. And uh, you don't get to a place like this without sacrifice in the past. And just remember, as you move forward, and as the church continues to go ahead, don't forget the past, and honor the past, and take care of the past, because God will bless you for that. Uh, and then, of course, when uh, Brother Tyler does take the mantle, we all know that God's hands on him. Uh, I believe he has an anointing. Um, I really mean that. I don't just say that. I believe God's hand is on him uh, in a very unique and very special way. But can I say this, that when you step into the pastorate, you, you have a load dropped on you unlike anything that you've ever experienced in life. And do not, do not give him time. Because he's talented. And, and you think, oh, he can handle it. Give, give him time to work in, to figure some things out. And uh, don't just bombard him with what's next, what's the vision, what are we building... Give them some time to adjust and adapt, and uh, I'm excited about what God has, and I'm excited to come back on furlough to this place and, and hear and see what the Lord has done. I'm going to be praying for this church, and, and uh, this, I can see why the Vots and the Kings uh, love you so much, and I can see it so clearly, and uh, you've just been a real blessing to us, all right? Well, with that being said, I'm going to invite you to stand, if you can, and take your Bible tonight. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. We're going to read one verse out of Romans 15. Once we've read the verse in Romans 15, you can lose it for the rest of the sermon. Just re I'll point out a phrase I want you to remember, 
And then we're going to jump to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. So we're going to be in Romans 15 and uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 tonight. Romans 15, 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 3. Now look, I know when you see a, a weapon and stuff, don't worry, I'm not a youth pastor, I'm not going to do anything stupid, and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to shoot an arrow, I'm not going to dry fire, I'm just going to hold it up, alright? So parents, relax, everything's going to be under control. Alright, Romans uh, 15, let's look at verse 30, and then we're going to jump right over to 2 Thessalonians chapter I want to give you something tonight. I read this a few months ago. and You know when you read a passage and it's so simple that it's almost like it doesn't do anything to you? Because it's so simple. And so I felt like I needed to really get the principle of 2 Thessalonians 3. And here's my hope. Here's my hope tonight. My hope tonight is that the principle you're going to see in 2 Thessalonians 3 will carry with you the rest of your Christian life. In a very profound way. I hope, that's what I'm hoping to accomplish tonight. So look at Romans 15 and, and look at verse 30. The Apostle Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you notice the next two words, strive, notice that word, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. I want you to remember that. Strive. Strive together in your prayers. Okay, now look over at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Very familiar passage of scripture, verse 1. The word of God says this. Finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. I want to preach on this subject tonight. Compound prayer. Compound prayer. Let's pray. Father, um, I'm thankful for the gift of prayer. Thankful for the power of prayer. And God, I pray that you would encourage your people tonight to see the incredible difference that they can make in the mission. Bless the preaching. Give me clarity of thought, I pray. Speak to our hearts, we ask. Close this meeting out with the power of your Holy Ghost. We pray things in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, you may be seated. You come to 2 Thessalonians, and what you have is the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. And, and as he's writing to the church of Thessalonica, you could look at chapters 1 and 2... As Paul is seeking to make a tangible and real impact in the believers' lives that he's writing to. You see, you read the letter and you find out that they are shaken. They are troubled. Because through the persuasion of some false leaders, many of them have begun to fear that they are about to, they have somehow missed the rapture and they are about to go into uh, tribulation and, and go through the wrath of God. And so, as you can imagine, there is great fear. There is great trepidation. What is going on? What is about to happen to us? And so, chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul is seeking to, to give them doctrine. He is speaking to inform them. He is speaking to enlighten them about the truth of the end times. 
and that, that God's people will not go through the tribulation and God's people will not experience the wrath of God. And by the way, that's the truth. God's people will not go through the tribulation and they will not go through his wrath on the earth. And we praise God for that. And so, so he's writing them to, to encourage them and, and to strengthen them. And so understand that as he's writing these words of, of this letter, he intends for it to help them. He intends for it to strengthen them. He intends for it to further them along in their spiritual and in their Christian life. And no doubt when the letter came and the people were gathered together and the pastor read the words out, I can hear the collective sighs of relief as they thought, oh, praise God, we're not going to go through that. And man, all these other things have to happen and we're not going to go through. And, and no doubt in those first two chapters, the Apostle Paul's words from the Holy Spirit made a real significant, tangible difference in the lives of the believers. But when you come to chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is now going to reverse it. He is going to turn the table and he is going to ask them to make a tangible difference in his life. For the first two chapters, he's been writing and seeking to make a difference in their life, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to, to prosper their spiritual journey. But you come to chapter 3, and now here's what Paul is doing. He is saying, saints, I want you to help me. I want you to make a tangible difference in me. I want you to impact my Christianity and my faith and what I'm trying to accomplish. And so that's what chapter 3 is about. It's Paul asking the church to help him in the mission. I want to say this, that we understand that that when missionaries go out and you send missionaries and you support missionaries, that those missionaries are helping you in this sense that, that they, are, they are going on your behalf and as they lead people to Christ, the Apostle Paul said that's fruit to your account. I mean that, that everywhere you support church planters and everywhere that you support missionaries, every one of those people that get converted, every one of those people that go from death unto life, not only does that missionary have that added to his account, but all who have prayed and all who have financially participated, all of them will have that added to their account. And so missionaries are helping you to accomplish the work of the gospel throughout the world. But I want to remind you tonight and I want to encourage you tonight that just as much as a missionary impacts your fruit and impacts your account, that you can impact the life and the ministry of the missionary that you support. I'm not talking about a hallmark greeting encouragement. I'm talking about a real, tangible, concrete difference all over the world. God can use you to do that. And the Apostle Paul speaks about that in 2 Thessalonians 3. And in this first verse, he gives us a relationship. There's a relationship here in verse 1 of chapter 3. And I want to use... Uh, a compound bow uh, as, and an arrow as an illustration of this relationship because I think it will help drive home the idea of the relationship. So in verse 1, we have three dynamics. We have three parts or three areas of a relationship that work together. The first dynamic of the relationship is I'm going to use as the arrow. The arrow is what I'm going to call tonight the object of impact, the object of impact. You go out and uh, you seek to, to 
hunt game. You, you're going to go out, you're going to get a turkey. You're going to go out and get an elk. You're going to go out and uh, you're going to get a bear. You're going to go out and get a deer, whatever it is. You're going to go out and you're going to get game. You're not going to get it with your bare hands. You're going to use the arrow. The arrow is what's going to pierce the game. The arrow is what's going to impact the game. The arrow is what's going to drop whatever it is you're trying to drop. Are you with me tonight? Now, look, if I preach this in San Diego, I'd already have 10 people calling the cops on me. Like, there's a radical. We're, I'm, I'm hoping I'm in good company tonight, all right? And, uh, and so, so, so the arrow is the object of impact. It is the object that impacts to bring about whatever the result is. Now, in verse 1, I want you to see the object of impact. He says in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us, notice, that the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. So a missionary goes to a country, and he wants to see an impact. He goes into Sri Lanka. He goes into Peru. Uh, he goes into uh, uh, Kansas or wherever he goes, and he desires to see an impact made. He wants to see people saved. He wants to see people baptized. He wants to see people added to the church. He wants to see people growing in their spiritual life and serving in the church and utilizing their spiritual gifts and abilities to the edification of the body that is there in that place. And, and what is the object of impact? The missionary knows that it's not him that's going to convert the soul. It's not him that's going to cause the person to surrender. It's not him that's going to pierce the heart. It is the object of impact. It is the word of the Lord. And so the missionary goes and he preaches and he distributes information and he declares what? The object of impact, the word of God, and he looks for the word of God to drop the game to make the impact. So the first area, the first dynamic of the relationship is the arrow, the object of impact. Secondly, you have the bow. Now, I'm left-handed, so if I'm holding this funny, just understand I'm a lefty, all right? And so, and so uh, and this, by the way, this isn't my color. I didn't select this, all right? This is the bow. The bow is the object. Now, get this. The bow is the object which provides the force and power to the object of impact, the arrow. Now, look, I know that this, I know this will be shocking to you. But I am not as strong as I look. <laughs> and so, so I know many of you would think I could go up into the mountains of Idaho and I could wait behind a tree and I could see an elk at 35 feet and I could throw that arrow and I could drop it, but I can't. I, I need force. I need power on the object of impact to drop the game. Are you hearing me? The bow is what gives the force. The bow is what gives the power to the object of impact to make it all take place. Well, we have in verse 1 the object of power. He says, pray for us that the word of the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives power to the object of impact. No, no, no. no. The Apostle Paul said that we cannot preach with the wisdom of men. We cannot use our speech and our intelligence and, and, even, and even using the word of God in our flesh, we cannot cause a person to get saved. We cannot use the word of God in our strength and our ability and our flesh 
to move souls to conversion. But it must take the power of God. It must take the Holy Spirit of God upon His Word to pierce through the hardness, to pierce into the heart, to convict the soul. Jesus Christ stood around His disciples and said this, It is expedient. It is good that I depart from you. I'm thinking, how in the world would it ever be good for Jesus to leave you? He said, because if I leave, the Holy Spirit will be with you. And the Holy Spirit will come upon your words and he will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, disciples, as you go out with the arrow, as you go out with the object of impact and you declare the word, the power of God, the Holy Spirit will do what you cannot do. He will take those words and like a sword, like an arrow, he will pierce their heart. And he will say, this is true, this is true. It'll be the Holy Spirit of God that'll wake them up at one in the morning and say, so where are you going to go when you die? It is the Holy Spirit of God that'll shake up the circumstances and shake up the situations of his life and keep bringing the word to his remembrance. Like, the, like Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. What pricks? The pricking power of the Holy Ghost piercing and convicting in the hearts of men. And so the missionary goes, and he goes into a country, he goes into a city, and he says, we're going to bring the word of the Lord to make an impact, but it will not be our strength, it will not be our wisdom, it will not be our, our ability to articulate or our charisma, it will have to be the power of the Holy Spirit of God upon his word to make an impact. So that's the second dynamic. But there's a third object in the relationship. The human. The human. Because the bow and arrow sitting requires one more piece. The human. Now I wrote this down very specifically because I think the language of how I say this matters. The human. Now listen. The person who relies on the bow and the arrow through his, the exertion of his energy into it. The human is the person who goes to the mountains and says, I want to get a game. I want to get a deer. I'm not getting it on my own. So I'm going to rely on the arrow, and I'm going to rely on the bow, and here's how I'm going to rely on the two, by using them and exerting my energy to see the power unleashed to make an impact. How in the world does the human in the relationship exert energy? The Apostle Paul says this, Finally, brethren, pray. Romans 15, here is how the Apostle Paul described prayer. He said, did you remember he said, strive? Here's what strive means. To make effort. To use exertion. To endeavor with earnestness. To labor hard. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying this, listen. Paul's saying that the human relies upon the bow and the arrow through exerting his energy, through, through exerting his, his effort in prayer. And as he prays, and as he seeks the Lord, and as he begs for God's power, God's power empowers his word and the word of God makes an impact. Now, now I want to be clear. I'm not saying God's our genie. 
I'm not saying God is our instrument. I'm saying that God has designed a relationship by which if we will go to him and seek him for power through prayer, he will empower his word to make a difference. The relationship is the missionary goes. He goes to the country. He wants to make an impact. He knows that the word of God can make an impact in their life. But he knows that the word of God must be empowered by his word. And so he prays earnestly, seeking God, begging God for his divine power. And God applies the power to his word and makes an impact in the lives of people. Now, I'm going to build upon this just a little bit. When I moved to Idaho, I was like Brother Corey described himself this morning in Sunday school. I, w- I, was, I spent my whole life in Los Angeles, Okay. Now, I grew up around handguns, but they didn't hold handguns the proper way where I grew up. <laughs> By the way, they weren't very accurate either. <clears throat> so, so I had no, I never went hunting. Uh, I mean, I never even mowed a yard until I was 18 years old. Seriously, I grew up in an apartment complex. I mean, I was just, I was not, I was not country. I drop into Caldwell, Idaho. I wear my, uh, this isn't in my notes, but I want to tell you this funny story. I get into Caldwell, Idaho, and, uh, and I mean, we're driving through the town, and it looks like just nobody's there. I'm like, man, what is this, a ghost town? And I'll never forget what my grandpa says. You know, he, he's old school. He says, boy, this is real America. <laughs> my answer was, well, where are all the Americans at? <laughs> so I moved there. I meet, my, I meet Amy. We start to date. And um, I have to, look, I've got to come quite a ways if I'm going to have her parents on board with this thing. Where, 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 where's he from? L.A.? No, 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 Amy. You're supposed to marry a dairy farmer. Seriously. And so I got I to gotta make, make up some ground here. So what do you do when you want to make up ground? Well, you start hunting. You, you got to go hunting with your dad, and then you, know, you start to work that. So, so Christmas comes, and my wife buys me a PSE compound bow. And, uh, man, I'm like, all right, we're going to get into this thing. We're going we're to get serious about it. And so I get the bow, I get the arrows and all that. And then very quickly I learned one of the most, the very first things I learned about is draw weight. Draw weight. Draw weight is the amount of force by pounds it takes to pull back the string to release the power. Once again, I know this will be very difficult for you to believe, but my draw weight wasn't what I would have thought it was. <laughs> but draw weight is critical because, oh, it's about to get good. Draw weight is critical because there is a direct correlation between the amount of pounds of exertion to pull back and the amount of pounds of exertion is applied to the arrow. Do you hear what I said? You men are trekking with me. You don't even have to take notes. You're with this. <laughs> the, well, some of the women are like, come on, I'll outshoot you any day. There is a direct correlation between the amount of pounds of force to pull back in the exertion and the amount of force upon the arrow. This is what, we're gonna, this, is what this text is implying. We're going to build on this a little bit more. You know what the Apostle Paul knew? That there was a direct correlation between the amount of prayer and seeking God and in the amount of power that God would put on the ministry of the word. Do you hear what I said tonight? God, the Apostle Paul understood that there was a direct, just, just as with the compound bow, there was a direct correlation 
between how much energy he exerted in prayer and the amount of power that God would apply to the word wherever he was ministering at. Now, the second thing I learned about draw weight was that everybody has a different one. Draw weight is not the amount of weight it takes to pull back for two seconds. Draw weight is the amount it takes to pull back, hold, aim, steady, and release at when you need to release. Totally different stuff. And, and so I learned that, you know, my wife's dad had a completely different draw weight than I had. And everybody kind of reaches a max. Everybody kind of has an area where they're comfortable what they reach. And here's what the Apostle Paul also knew. And that's why he's telling us this text. The Apostle Paul knew that there is only so much exertion in prayer one man can do by himself. Every man has an individual amount of draw weight in prayer. Every, listen, every missionary can pray, and they should pray. Every person with the word of God ought to pray. But here's what Paul knew, because this is what the text is implying, that there is only, there, 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 is, an, there is a draw way. He can, the apostle Paul can only pray so much, therefore he can yield quite a bit, but it can only yield so much. And it matters because the larger the game, the larger the draw weight you need. You know, you can go out and shoot little stuff with a 20. But if you're going to get a deer, you're going to get up to 40. Then if you're going to get up to bigger game, you've got to get 60 and, and higher than that. And so if you're going to, listen, if you're going to get serious about some big game, you've got to raise the draw weight. Okay, will you stand up, Brother McCormick? Now here's what this verse is implying, and then we're going to, man, it's about to get awesome. Hold this. Brother McCormick's going to Peru. He's going there. He's going there to make an impact. And he knows, he knows that God's word's going to be what's going to make the impact. Are you with me tonight? So Brother McCormick is going to go with his wife, and they're going to go, and, and they're going to have medical outreach, and man, I'm excited about these things, and they're going to go, and they're going to do these things, and, and they're going to be praying. Do you know why they're going to be praying? They're going to be praying because they know the amount of effort that they put into prayer is going to directly correlate to the amount of Peruvians that will, they will see saved and the effectiveness and the power that God will blow upon his word. But here's what Paul knows, that his draw weight is only so high. But, 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 Brother Sid, we stand up? But if Brother Sid gets a burden for Brother McCormick and he starts praying for him and he starts seeking God for him here, here is the miracle of power God will take the energy and the striving and the exertion of Brother Sid and he will add it to Brother McCormick's draw weight and there will be more force and more power and the more people in the congregation that get a burden for Brother McCormick and pray for Brother McCormick, he will take the draw weight of your prayer, and the draw weight of your prayer, and he will add it to the ministry of Brother McCormick, and there will be more force, and there will be more power as he is seeking to minister the word of God. Thank you, men can be seated. The reason why the Apostle Paul says pray for us, it's not because, it's not because it sounds cute. It's, it's because the Apostle Paul knew that in his prayer, he could only do so much more. So, but if the church of Thessalonica would get on board, the more members through the congregation that would seek and they would knock and they would ask and they would pray, 
their draw weight would be added to his ministry and God would add more force to the bow and more force to the arrow and he would pierce more hearts and he would get more done that through the compound power of prayer, more can be accomplished with the word of the Lord. Okay, now, so now that sounds awesome, but I'm always asking myself, what does that look like in real life? Because I get that in a, you know, in a principal sense, but what is that, how does that really, how does that really look in real life? You know what I love about Paul? He's going to tell us exactly how. He's going to show us the way in which prayer impacts the ministry of the missionary. Three things all revolved around one. He says in verse one, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have. Let me stop right there. All of the prayer will revolve around the arrow of impact. All of the prayer is going to revolve around God's power upon his word. Now, I want you to notice the three things that Paul says to pray for him about. First of all, he says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. Free course in the in the Grecian time, and, and when this was written, it, it was speaking of a, obst, uh, of a course that a runner would run that was free of obstacles. Free course is meaning you can go for a run, and you're not going to run into stuff. I like to run. I'm not going to call myself a runner. I like to run. And when I go places, I'm always looking for free course. What does that mean? A place where I'm not running into lights, running into cars, Running into dogs, I want to just just give me a just give me a track, give me you know give me a place where I can just go, free course, no obstacles. The apostle Paul says, everywhere I am, I'm seeking to take the word of the Lord somewhere, and here's what I want: I want to be able to give the word of the Lord out and to preach the word of the Lord out without obstacles. Here's the first thing Paul says to pray for: pray for presence. With the word of the Lord. Presence with the word of the Lord. Okay, so let's get practical. Let me show you how this translates into real missionary life. So God calls David Hetzer and the Hetzer family to leave Nampa, Idaho, and to take the word of the Lord to Sri Lanka. Okay, so I want to be a part of seeing the word of the Lord make a difference in Sri Lanka. But there's a gap between me and that taking place. Okay, like what? Okay, well, first of all, I have to get support. You with me tonight? Have to have financial support to get there, to live there. So that means I'm going to go on deputation, which means I've got to have meetings, which means I've got to have churches take me on, which means I need safety and travel, and all the dynamics of travel. Then, as, as if God begins to progress that, and I get closer, now I've got to start focusing on getting into the country, for the word of God to make a presence, you got to be let in. So now I've got to get a visa. I've got not a visa MasterCard, a business visa or a student visa. I have to get a visa to get into the country. I've got to have access to get into the country. And so then I get into the country and I land. Guess what? I'm still not ready to give the word of the Lord. Because now I'm in this crazy country where they drive with no rules. And it feels like a sauna 24 hours a day. And they eat curry for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they speak an entirely different language. And so before I can even make a presence in the word of the Lord, I've got to get my head on straight. And our family have to adjust to what we just landed in. We're not going to know how to drive. 
We have to learn how not to drive. To drive. We're going to have to learn to adapt to being right under the sun all the time and living in beautiful humidity all the time. We're going to have to learn how to interact with people. You Listen, you heard the Pakistanis. They were speaking English. Some of you are like, what in the world were they saying? Wait till you hear them speak in their tongue. And so now we've got to have cultural adjustment. And then we culturally adjust, and now we have to begin to give the word of God to people. We have to begin to have relationships with people. And God's going to have to open doors for us to have opportunities to give the gospel and hand tracts out and witness to people to bring to church. Do you see all of All those things have to happen just for the word of God to make a presence. So the concept is, here I am, and I want to see the word of God make a presence. So, man, I'm praying, God, give me favor. God, have churches take us on for support. Protect us on the road and keep us safe and keep our vehicle travel worthy and keep us from, you know, bad drivers and bad weather. And and God, get us forward and, and God, get the visa for us. And as we're praying, don't you know that the more people that pray for the Hetzer family, the more people that add to the draw, The more people that are praying for support, the more people that are praying for the visa, the more people that are praying for the culture shock, it may just be that God will apply more of his power and get the support quicker and maybe allow access to a visa that wasn't possible. And then maybe God would give some extra grace to make the curry absolutely delicious in our mouths and help us adjust And give us a relationship with this person. And give us a relationship with that person. And it's like the more people that pray, the more power and effectiveness in the presence of the word of God. That's the first thing. Then notice the second thing he says wrapped around the word of God. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified as it is with you. Man, the word of God is glorious. The word glory means to be adorned or clothed with splendor. The word of God is beautiful. It is is glorious. It is majestic. But do you know how the word of God shows its glory? Here's how the word of God shows its glory. When somebody receives it and obeys it, and the power of it shines through their life. He says, even as it is with you. The Thessalonians believed it and obeyed it and it changed them drastically and it showed the glory and the proof of the word of God. The apostle Paul says don't just pray that we can get the word in the country. Don't just pray for the presence of the word. Second of all, pray for the power of the word. Okay. Reality check. I'm in Sri Lanka. Nobody cares that I'm there. They're not they're not waving banners. The Buddhist temples aren't shutting down the shops saying, ah, Brother Hetzer's here, it's over. We heard he preaches Silver State. We just give it up. Give up the country. And I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach to people who their entire, listen, their entire life they've been taught Buddhism. Every aspect of their day revolves around their Buddhism. Their birthdays, their feasts, their festivals their position in the cast of life, their friendships, their marriages, every dynamic of their entire life is wrapped around Buddhism and some white guy is going to show up and say, ah, you're wrong, you need to believe in Jesus. You know what that's going to take? Power. It's going to take the Holy Spirit of God breaking through the culture 
and all of the false beliefs and all of the pure pressure and all, and all of the obstacles and piercing and breaking through all of that to say to that Buddhist, this is true. And not only say that this is true, but be so powerful in their life that they are willing to forsake all and come to Jesus Christ. Now, can I tell you that that's big game? And that's going to take a lot of prayer. And the more people that pray for the missionary, the more people that pray for the, for the Buddhists and the Hindus and the people of Islam to be saved, the more the word of God, I don't know how this works, but the God teaches us the spirit of God adds more force and more power and it goes further in the hearts and it breaks further into the culture and draws more people to salvation. And, and the apostle Paul says, pray for there to be a presence in the word and pray for there to be power in the word. And I want you to notice the third thing he says to pray for with the word. He says this, Look what he says in verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. When the word of God makes, the, makes a presence in the country, not much happens. But when the word of God starts having power, and people start getting saved, and people stop coming to the temple, and people stop giving to the monks, guess what happens? Wicked and unreasonable men show up. For the Apostle Paul, every time the Word of God made an impact, you can mark it down, Pharisees and Sadducees, not far behind. Wicked and unreasonable men, you know what they want to do? They want to snuff out the power of the Word. They want to eliminate the power of the Word in that city, and they will threaten, and they will attack or they might promote lies and propaganda, and they will turn a city up against a missionary, they will do all they can to snuff out the power of the word of God. Every city, every country, every place has Pharisees and Sadducees. They have wicked and unreasonable men, and as soon as conversions start to happen, they will rise up, and they will seek to hurt the word. And so Paul says this, pray not just for the presence in the word and the power of the word, Pray for protection around the word. Pray that God would protect the missionary. Pray that God would protect their ministry. Pray that God would protect their visa. Pray that God would protect the church and that the members wouldn't be fearful and that they wouldn't stop coming to church because of threats. Pray that, pray that God would put a hedge around his word and keep the unreasonable and wicked men from harming them. How many missionaries have told stories of, being, of almost being assaulted by a mob or almost being killed by someone and something miraculous intervenes and stops it and then they find out that there was a church in America that was praying at the exact same time? Happens all the time. That's not a coincidence. Do you know what that is? It's compound prayer. Listen, you have the ability through prayer. Now get this. I want you to get this tonight. You have the ability through your prayer to add to the presence of the word of God and the power of the word of God and the protection of the word of God in your missionary's life. That's what your prayer can do. Now I want you to notice one last thing here. He says this in verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Finally, finally is an important word. Finally is not like a, okay, I've said, I've said some heavy stuff 
and now I'm just going to give some light stuff. No, no, here's what he's doing. Now get this. Finally changes the subject without changing the emphasis. What do you mean? Chapter two, 1 and 2, he's fired up. Chapters 1 and 2, he's saying this is important. This is critical. You, you are not going through these things. You are not going to experience tribulation. Do not be shaken. Do not be troubled. Stand fast in the faith. And there is urgency and there is priority. And chapter 3, verse 1, when he says finally, he's saying same urgency, same priority, same passion, same emphasis, just as you should not be shaken in mind, just as you should not be troubled, with the same attitude and the same passion, Please, brethren, pray for us. You know what he's saying? It's a priority. August 7th, 1942. Major General Grant Vandergrift and 11,000 Marines landed on the island of Guadalcanal. Their mission was very simple. They needed to take and hold an airstrip that, that from that airstrip provided strategic uh, access to neighboring allies and enemies. And so that day, our men stormed the beaches, and with little resistance, they were able to quickly seize the airstrip. And for a year, they fought and strove to maintain that airstrip. But to understand the, the, the ebbs and flows of Guadalcanal, and to understand some of the difficulties that they went through, you have to understand that while there was a battle on the island, there was a battle in the seas. And when our men were dropped off, and when they went to take that airstrip, our navy was bombarded by the enemy, and it forced our navy to retreat. Our navy had the medical supplies and food supplies that our men on the island needed. And so our men were left at the beginning of that campaign with only 14 days of food and very little medical supplies to deal with the, the, the malaria and all of the dysentria and all the physical diseases that they would experience. And so listen, they, they, they were winning the battle. They were fighting with the victory. But they were starving. And they were physically afflicted because the supply line had been cut off. Because we were losing the battle of the seas. It's probably about an hour ago that Brother Terry Unruh woke up this morning, what would be Monday morning. Got up probably around five o'clock. He tries to get up before the Buddhist chants ring through the country. One Brother Unruh woke up and went downstairs, <clears throat> made his hot tea, got the junk out of his eyes. He woke up to war today. He woke up knowing the Pakistani church that he pastors. Three-fourths of them are stuck at a police station. They can't go home. They can't go to church. Nobody's going to rent a building out to Pakistanis for a church anywhere. And yet he's got over 150 Pakistanis that have been converted and hundreds more who will be converted if, if the Lord could just reopen the door. And he's got to figure out how to work with these Pakistanis that are afraid and struggling and impoverished. And he's got to figure that out. 
On the other end, he has the Bible Baptist Church of Colombo, the English-speaking people, and the church there meets right there in the heart of a Muslim community. And the U.S. Embassy has said, you can't have church here for right now, and we don't know when you can have church here. And so now, not only does he have to deal with the fact that his members can't come to the building to have church, but wait a minute, what lost Buddhist, what lost Hindu, what lost person is going to go to the Christian church that sits in the Muslim community while there's still bombers walking around the country. He's in war. He's trying to, he's trying to get the gospel out. He doesn't know if they're even going to let him hand out tracts and if, if they're going to even outlaw it for right now. Now look, I know Brother Andrew, and he's a man of prayer and he's a man of fasting and I believe he'll hold the airstrip. I believe he'll hold the airstrip. But here's the question that I'm asking myself. Will he have to do it with less supply than he should? Will he have to go without because I'm failing in the battle of the seas? You see, because while he's warring on the island, there's a battle overseas for the Christians and their prayers for the missionary. And my question is, not whether Brother Runner is going to stand fast and hold to the faith. My question is, is he going to have to do with less favor from the government and less opportunities and less effectiveness because David Hetzer is so busy fighting his own things that he's not taking time to pray. And I'm asking myself, who's winning the battle of the seas for our missionaries? I thank God for our missionaries that they are fighting battles and they are fighting wars all over this world and God is using them. But we must ask ourselves this question. How many of them are living on 14 days of supply of food? How many of them are going without medical supplies? Not, not physically, but spiritually because we are not praying for them as we should. I thank God for our Navy. I thank God for the resiliency because after our initial loss, it did not take long for America to respond with great fervor. And we reclaimed the sea and we took the air. And as you follow the Battle of Guadalcanal, you'll find that we shut off the enemy's supply and we were able to eventually give them a steady supply. And towards the end, they were able to hold with vigor and with strength. And that's what the Apostle Paul is calling for. He is saying churches and people of God Give us supply. Win the battle of the seas. Pray for us that the word may have presence and that the word may have power and that the word may be protected. Win the battle of the sky. Win the battle of the seas and pray for us. There's a call come ringing over the restless ways. No, 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 not that one. Pray for us. Let me say that again. There's a call come ringing over the restless waves from our missionaries. Pray for us. Pray for us. I can hear Brother Unruh right now. Pray for us. Statement. Statement. Our prayer adds muscle to the ministry of our missionaries. Our prayers add muscle. I love just throwing muscle in. That's a great CIT right there. Our prayer adds muscle to the ministry of our missionaries. Man, some of you dear saints, you've been praying for missionaries for 20, 30, 40 years. And sometimes you wonder, is it worth it? Does it really matter? 
our prayer, your prayer, adds muscle to the ministry of our missionaries. Two statements and we'll be done. One, visualize the world of your missionaries when you pray for them. Just look at three things. Where are they trying to make a presence with the word? What's the obstacles? What's, what's keeping them from the presence? Who are they trying to have power with? Muslims? Is it Buddhists? Is it atheists? Who is rising against them? Is it the government? Is it religious zealots? Is it another denomination? Who's seeking to harm them? Visualize the world that they live in to pray for them. And secondly, listen to me, fight to maintain your prayer life for your missionaries. Listen, it's the quickest thing to go. Fight to maintain a prayer life for your missionaries. Can you hear them tonight? Can you hear them? The call come ringing over the restless waves. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Let's pray.